loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking neomorphs. We're talking dumb scientists. And we're talking robot sexy time. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And I want to blow in your hole while you do the fingering, Joe. <laughs> wow. Right off the top. I like it. It's aggressive. <laughs> whenever whenever you do your intro, I'm like, oh, God. Because I have like, I, I never think about something to say. And so like, when you're saying yours, that's when I'm like, oh, I'm going to say this. And I'm always hoping that you don't take the thing that I'm going to say, because then I'm just going to be like, I'm Trace. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I left you the best fingering I possibly could. I know. It's it's the most cliche thing you can make out of this movie. Although I will say that when... I'm sorry. We're discussing Alien Covenant today. Um, I will say that when I told someone we were covering this, they were like, what's gay about that movie? And I was like, girl. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, not that it has to be gay. But before we right. dive into the film... Joe, we do have a guest on the line today to discuss this quote-unquote film. <laughs> it's a Frankenstein's beast of a film. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else in between, you may have read his work on Bloody Disgusting, Adam Tickets, and Sci-Fi Wire, but you probably know him as the host of the Genre Vision and Finflix podcast, uh, the latter of which looks at all films aquatic horror, so <laughs> you know that Joe and I love it. Yep. Please welcome Drew Deitch. Hello, and I am... Uh... I cannot believe I'm not the one that got to come in swinging with the I'll do the fingering line. Uh, <laughs> so, but but don't worry, I'm sure that particular line is going to be brought up at least three more times in this episode. Oh, Drew, straight men don't finger? Come on. <laughs> well, unless they're over the age of 50, they're getting their prostate exams and they come while they're getting it. <laughs> wow. Okay. It that happens. Is... I've read reports. I mean, I've read like news articles. It's a good PSA. Older gentlemen, please get your prostate checked. Younger men, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> it's actually true that if you're a bottom, your prostate's most likely more healthy than like other people's prostate, other men's prostates, because it's getting natural massages like throughout its lifetime. In what capacity, Trace? See, th this is an educational <laughs> podcast. I want people to know. <laughs> we are doing a public service here. <laughs> I know. So yeah, p poke your prostates, everyone. Anyway, that goes for straight men too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally does. If you if you like getting pegged, do it. It's awesome. Or if you just like, you know, fingering yourself. Okay, I'm going to stop. So, okay. um yes, we are talking Alien Covenant, the f 4 5. Well, I was going to say the 6th entry in the franchise, but I guess some people count Alien versus Predator and Alien versus Predator Recreation, no. which I I don't. I don't, but I do think a lot of people consider it canon. Yeah, it's weird. No, those movies are like 75% Predator movies and 25% yes. Alien movies. I will say, though, so, I mean, I, we're not talking about those movies and I know that, but, like, I, the first one's not great. I actually find a lot of enjoyment out of Requiem because it's just Alien versus Predator in suburbia. And On a $10 budget. Yeah, but <laughs> you know what? There's some real gnarly kills. There's a pregnant lady, like, birthing it out of her pregnant belly it it's not good it's like there's it, only so many places you can have a baby come out of trace where are you going <laughs> well no but like that thing is cheese ball but i can't I, you can't see half of the movie yeah no it's super dark like literally it's dark they couldn't afford lights <laughs> well 
I'm going to come out right front and say that I would rather watch that movie again no. than wow. this one. No, I'm, I'm on. I am oh, not. This is going to no. be fun. <laughs> we'll talk about it. So Alien Covenant, released on May 19th, 2017 by 20th Century Fox, runtime of 122 minutes, although it was originally uh, 143 minutes, with a budget. So reported of $97 million, but apparently there are reports that suggest it was higher at $111 million. And holy fuck. I believe it. It looks expensive. Yeah. I mean, not. It, I, it's definitely got to be a downgrade from Prometheus because I know we're going to talk about Prometheus. Yeah. Um, but I still think this is a really handsome looking production. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, that's the reason why this movie ranks as high as it does for me, like on a five star scale, is because it looks. I mean, from a technical standpoint, CGI aside, I think this movie looks great. It's probably the nicest looking film that we've covered on this podcast. <laughs> Possibly. I will say, though, I do think that Prometheus looks better. I mean, it's the same style. I actually think it might be the same cinematographer. Yes, same cinematographer. Ridley Scott's got a crew he likes to work with. Yes, absolutely. But I guess maybe because the world was so much bigger in Prometheus compared to just like the general forest slash the one slice of new zealand that they show us in this movie (laughs) exactly it looks pretty for what it is but i find prometheus more memorable from a from a visual standpoint i mean let's just put this up because i think this is one of the fundamental i I can't say problems but one of the fundamental issues with alien covenant is we you have to talk about prometheus because unlike i would say any other alien entry this is the only one that's really acting as a very direct sequel narratively. Yeah, it doesn't stand alone at all. So let's talk about Prometheus then before we even dive into Covenant. <laughs> and we don't have to like, uh, we're not going like to talk about the themes and shit of that. I mean, because they kind of bleed into this, but mm-hmm. maybe more so how Prometheus birthed the film that we are about to talk about. Yes, that, yes. I think that's a great place because prometheus I, I i don't know if there's any other movie from this past decade that i have more mixed feelings about than prometheus uh, on the one hand i admire it but at the same time i think it's it's really in love with the smell of its own farts <laughs> that's damon lindelof that's yes him. and and that's definitely reflected because i i did read the um original john spaith's draft alien engineers and it's like, oh, yeah, this is pretty much a similar kind of rundown of this kind of movie. But all of the kind of big question asking is clearly Lindelof's contribution. And I think that Prometheus was so sold as the big answering machine <laughs> for like right. all of this alien stuff. And when yep. it when it didn't deliver on that, it I think it kind of. Well, it falls onto this film to do that burden. Yeah, and, and and this movie feels like Ridley Scott kind of giving the middle finger and being like, all right, you know what? You guys didn't like that? Well, how about this? But, hey, I agree with you. But in that regard, and we're going to go through a production timeline a bit of how like this came to be, because Ridley Scott will not shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's because no over over the five years between prometheus's release and alien covenant's release he would say so many things and it was like two months later he'd take it back and be like no it's actually gonna be this now oh wait no it's gonna be this now and it's because yes people 
they touted Prometheus as alien prequel. Oh my god, it's going to lead into Alien and blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. then they were walking that back. And I'm like, oh, it's more like it has it's its own movie, but with alien DNA. And I'm like, oh, I know what that means. Yeah. And I I actually do like Prometheus. It's not one that I want to revisit very often because I don't find it particularly fun. I appreciate yeah. the ideas and the questions it posits, even if it has no interest in answering any of them. Which is the Lindelof touch. Right. But I say that as a fan. <laughs> people that, again, going into this movie expecting an alien prequel, don't get their alien until like the mid credits tease. And the backlash, because the critical reaction to that was mildly positive. It was mm. like, you know, 72% yeah. of Rotten Tomatoes, but like, you know, lots of threes out of fives. Like, it's fine. It's pretty. Not a lot of substance here. People are stupid. Because I think what happened was people basically jizzed all over themselves because it was Ridley Scott fucking coming back to the franchise after so many years. So even when it didn't deliver, people said, yeah, but you've got the creator back. Like, we're on track to have this happen. And then when this film didn't deliver, all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, there's a second film coming. Maybe that'll be the Great White Whale. Yeah, it it, it feels like the the franchising of alien because this is definitely something i was thinking about during my recent watch is that the alien franchise and again i'm not counting the avp movies Mm -hmm. it's really kind of the same movie remade every time but with a very unique directorial approach ridley scott coming back and doing prometheus and then having to follow this up it it actually acts as kind of an anomaly to what i think people actually expect out of an alien movie okay so i have an issue with studios when they listen too much to fandom Mm -hmm. i mean our most recent example obviously is this fucking sonic the hedgehog thing and the teeth and you know they're like oh we're gonna delay the movie for thanksgiving (laughs) and put it out in february because we're gonna fix the teeth on this fucking imaginary hedgehog i'm calling it now we're never seeing that movie oh i'm gonna see it (laughs) that no i mean like like it may never get released oh okay yeah it a new mutants i will believe it when it debuts in theaters (laughs) but this is what i'm saying though so like scott likes to say things about like what his ideas are and i I can imagine the heads at fox being like dude shut the fuck up we don't people hated prometheus (laughs) we need to do something different so like before prometheus comes out so this comes out this uh, prometheus was released in the states in june of 2012 so just before that ridley scott says okay cool we're gonna have a sequel that would follow shaw to her next destination prometheus uh co-writer damon lindelof cast doubt on his own participation so i think he already knew at this point that the studio was probably like um yeah no do we gonna have this guy back <laughs> so he says he's if- the Anne rice of this <laughs> yes uh listen to last week's episode on interview with a vampire if you want to hear more about that story so he goes if scott wants me to be involved in something that would be hard to say no to at the same time i do feel like the movie might benefit from a fair voice or a fresh take or a fresh thought and then he pulled the ripcord and jumped out of the plane <laughs> so yeah but that's the thing like do you think he had a bad time working on it or was he like maybe the studio was saying we want this and he was like i don't want to give you that i i i from what i know considering you know lindelof came on not late, late. but later yeah. in, the, in the production I don't know if it was kind of just like a dream for him, like, hey, I'm going to get to work on Alien and work with Ridley Scott. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe he had a bad time, but also maybe he was just like, eh, all of the weight that comes with this kind of prestige franchise, I'd rather go make my weird little HBO show. 
of Leftovers. Is but so it's good. so good. <laughs> I, I 100% agree with you, though, Drew. But I think the other big thing is that he also, at this point, is a full-blown magnet for shit and yes. vitriol. So I think as soon as Prometheus didn't deliver what people wanted and people started to react negatively, he knew it was coming his way. So... I think from that point on, it was like, well, I would love to be involved, but I'm probably not going to be asked back because I'm going to take the fall for this. So then listen to this. So let's finish 2012. August 1st, 2012. The Prometheus has been up for two months. Fox is, Fox is announced to be pursuing a sequel with Ridley Scott, Numi Rapace, and Michael Fassbender, and they were talking to new writers in case Lindelof didn't return. But December of 2012, Lindelof officially chooses not to work on the project. And then Scott, Ridley Scott says... The feature will not contain xenomorphs. The be- and this is an exact quote. The beast is done cooked. And I, I remember oh him saying that kind of stuff even before Prometheus came out and, and, and talking about how that design was so done to death because of franchising that he mm. wanted to do new things. And I, I have to say that's one of the things I admire the most about Prometheus is it is kind of a, a remix of familiar elements from the alien that we know, but doing it in in different ways and then prometheus comes out and the response is we want our alien so the next one he's like you want your alien i'm gonna give you your goddamn alien well and we we saw this with the friday the 13th franchise when we did jason goes to hell right Mm -hmm. where they said oh well we're gonna try to do something differently and the fans say no fucking give us what we want (laughs) well i i I would argue though that prometheus is a better movie than jason goes to hell and maybe had jason goes to hell i am shocked that you would try to make this argument (laughs) had jason goes to hell been like a good movie like i mean which i mean you know jason goes to hell is a great movie i know i know (laughs) so okay then we wait six months june 2013 the initial screenplay for covenant which um hasn't been named covenant yet uh, is written by Transcendence screenwriter Jack Paglin. Transcendence is that really weird Johnny Depp movie where he's oh. like in the computers. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Lawnmower Man for a yeah, new generation. Yeah, I was going to say the Lawnmower Depp. Yes. Oof. So they've got that, but then like it's news is like silent until March of 2014. So we got like nine months, and Michael Green is hired to rewrite his script. And then they're like, no, we don't want that. So then they brought in Dante Harper to write a new script. But then an extensive rewrite was performed by screenwriter John Logan. Who we actually like. Yes. No, he worked with Ridley Scott on Gladiator. And he found that the challenge being like combining the horror elements of Alien with the philosophical elements of Prometheus. (gasps) Gee, and where are the two divides in Alien Covenant? And I I would honestly say that that same problem is present in Prometheus. And Prometheus has the bigger air about itself that it it kind of forgets that it's still a a B movie at heart. Yeah. And and I think Alien Covenant, maybe we'll get into this, is that I think Alien Covenant kind of embraces its B movie stupid a little bit more. Uh yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Prometheus just gets the pass because it came first, but then there's nowhere to hide when you come to Alien Covenant. And because Ridley Scott will not shut the fuck up about it, people keep <laughs> getting their expectations raised or altered. That's something about this day and age of technology, though, that I, I, I mean, like, we're, we're recording this episode on Halloween. I'm going to date the episode now. And they fucking released footage of Halloween Kills today on Jamie Lee Curtis's mm-hmm. Instagram. And I'm like, that movie comes out in a year. I don't yeah. want to see footage of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, the modern marketing machine. Ugh. Yeah. So, okay. So that's March of 2014. All those fucking screens, screenwriters going on. Wait another year, year and a half. August 2015. 
Scott's like, oh, I'm scouting locations. The film's going to star Numi Rapace and Michael Fassbender. Um, <laughs> okay. Then a month later. <laughs> Meanwhile, Numi Rapace is like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she had no idea. <laughs> My agents have not been contacted. Hello? I'm available to work. So then in September 2015, Scott's like, yeah, it's called Alien Paradise Lost. Oh, Jesus, that fucking title. Yeah. I forgot all about that. And I, I, yeah. I think they even use that in some of the Covenant like poster marketing. They might. I, th- I think they said something like it's probably some pretentious thing that David says. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think there was a, even a trailer that's like the the road to paradise is <gasps> only through hell or oh, something. You're, yeah, no, you're totally right. right. No, yeah. that 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 is totally in one of the trailers. So then he, Scott goes, okay, we're gonna make two more movies that's gonna lead into Alien. So we're gonna have a trilogy of Prometheus. It's gonna be awesome. And then he goes, maybe there will even be a fourth film before we go back to Alien. It's like Scott, <laughs> work on your first film. <laughs> <laughs> we know you've been knighted, but shut the fuck up. <laughs> So then November 2015, so now we're two months later after he reveals this all this shit. Then he goes, oops, no, the title's Alien Covenant, and we're going to start filming in February 2016. And then this a month later, December 2015, Catherine Waterson's cast in the role, and pretty much, like, everyone else gets then cast. Then it actually happens, yeah. Yeah, and they announce the rest of the cast in February, and they start filming in April of 2016, but it isn't until June of 2016 when it's announced that Numi Rapace is not reprising her role of Elizabeth Shaw, which leads me to believe, okay, they had her in this movie, in the mm-hmm. script, and yeah. then they were filming and they were and like, they cut her. Mm, <laughs> we can't do this. Well, the, the, I remember, and I don't know if this was cobbled together from deleted scenes of Prometheus, but mm-hmm. they were putting out those like short film promos yes yes, and 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 one of them was about like this is basically what happened directly after prometheus with hey watch shaw putting david back together again and i'm like was this shot for covenant and then they were like yeah we gotta fix this well and we'll get into this when we get into the plot summary but it does we have missed a movie between prometheus and this like there is a movie's God, worth of you things want a movie in between these two i do no honestly and maybe it's I was fine with Prometheus when I saw it, and it wasn't honestly until I sat with it and then I saw this movie that I kind of appreciated Prometheus more. And if not, maybe Prometheus itself, but Elizabeth Shaw as a character more than Catherine Watterson's Daniels in this movie. Well, I, I, yeah, I I can definitely get into my argument about because because I really feel Alien Covenant is a legitimately trying to be a fuck you to pretty much everybody. And there's something about that that I find emboldening, but it's also like, well, yeah, that's, uh, you're going to piss off more people. Well, let's face it, this movie, the movie that Ridley Scott, I think, wants to make is the story of David and Walter. And then the movie that he's forced to make is the aliens, Marines, and the security team who get infected so that we can get a fucking xenomorph in here. And he doesn't give a shit about any of these other characters. And and I think that's something... Again, looking at that, because I, I may have said this already, but there's three ways to pretty much approach this movie, which is as a an alien entry, a Prometheus sequel, and its own thing. And as an alien entry, all of the alien movies, again, not counting AVP, all kind of end on, if not a hopeful note, at least, like, it, it's not nihilistic. This is the first nihilistic alien movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is your full on we're going to go into hell if we ever get this third film. And I think, again, it might be one of those things where it's like 
if if a sequel gets made, and we'll talk about the sequel mm. at the end of this episode. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, the quote unquote, if it ever happens, sequel. <laughs> if it gets made, and like I can see where it goes from here, maybe I'll retroactively. I mean. I reviewed this movie for Bloody. I gave it a three out of five for Bloody Disgusting. And it was one where my review went up and I was like, you know what? I really feel like that's a two and a half. And I still consider it a two and a half. But I think if I can see where it's going to go next, because I guess like any trilogy, this one feels like a stepping stone to the next yeah. movie. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a full movie to me. And I actually minus ugh, three sequences. I actually find myself quite bored in a lot of this movie. Hmm. Okay, mm. I mean, I definitely if in the non-existent trilogy that will never, ever, ever right. happen. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> you could view this as like, entry. yeah, th this is the second act low point for. Well, it, it's the low point in terms of tone, but right. for the secret protagonist of this new trilogy, David, this is an absolute win, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, yeah. yeah, but the but empire I has I, struck back. Yes, and and I, and I think that is something that makes this stand out in such a way that i i i am not surprised at the reception because I, I know if you look at the the critical reception to it as of now like it's actually kind of down the middle that's mm. actually a great that's a great transition because then well we're gonna done, go into Drew. this i know like you're better i'm terrible at transitions so <laughs> that's perfect so yeah this movie opens up may 19th 2017 at the number one spot with 36.2 million dollars which was not good against its low on the low end 97 million dollar budget plus marketing and advertising and there was a shit ton of marketing for this film i mean they're putting oh, yeah. out those little mini films in the months leading up to its release mm -hmm. come on <laughs> <laughs> um, it goes on to gross $74.3 million domestically and $166.6 million internationally for a worldwide total of $240.9 million. Which Not, isn't bad until yeah. you look at what Prometheus did. Well, and I think that's a combination of two factors. Is One, Prometheus really felt like such an event film because yeah, of really right. Scott returning they marketed it exactly like the first Alien movie and drew connections to that film's mm -hmm. marketing campaign. And when prometheus was received the way it was you're going to have natural diminishing returns with a sequel but i also think that the marketing on this movie fox clearly went okay the problem with prometheus is that there's no alien so what's the first poster we're going right. to put out just the yeah. face of the alien what's every piece of marketing going to have don't worry you're going to see face huggers and aliens and i mm -hmm. think after prometheus people were like oh it's just that again never mind well, and I'm glad you mentioned the box office of Prometheus because I was actually the budget for Prometheus was 130 million dollars. Yeah, so they clearly trusted him more. Well, but domestically it made 126 million. So, I, but worldwide it made 403. So, mm -hmm. I I honestly say that the ratio of like budget to gross is roughly the same for both movies. I mean, it this movie didn't do horribly. No. But I think they thought that it was going to at least do the same. Like, they thought they were giving people what they wanted, and then the people didn't show up. But I also think they sold it way more minorly than Prometheus. Like, oh, Prometheus yeah, yeah. was sold like a Star Wars event-level movie. Alien mm -hmm. Covenant yeah. was sold more like another kind of... It's a sci-fi film in the summer. Movie. Yeah. Well, and let's yeah. not be joking around here. Like, Prometheus, if it's not a crowd-pleaser. It's not... It's not a fun movie that's, like, going to win over audience. This isn't Alien or Aliens. I mean, it's not even Alien 3, to be honest. Like, it's so much more <laughs> meditative than any of those movies. But that's, again, why listening to audiences so much about what they want, you'll have this reaction where it's like, oh, it's just that again. I guess mm -hmm. I didn't want that after all. Yeah. 
So then your reception, yes, Drew, uh, it's middle of the road, uh, but it's not terrible. Rotten Tomatoes is 66% with an average of 6.3 out of 10 from critics, 55% from audiences with an average of 6.58 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic is 65 out of 100 from critics and 58 out of 100 from audiences. So it's not terrible, but I do feel like in the two years since it came out that maybe the opinion has dropped a little bit, but not significantly because there, again, people still like this movie. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen both ends of the spectrum in terms of its kind of legacy. I've seen, uh, like, uh, Patrick Willems did uh, one of his, you know, he explains why this movie is great videos on it. And then I've seen the opposite end where it's basically people, I, I feel like even people who weren't crazy about Prometheus, they really hate Covenant because it doesn't fulfill on the promise of that that movie at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are very unforgiving when they feel like they're owed an answer, and then the next mm-hmm. film does not give it to them. Do you yes. think, had this movie maybe come out two years after Prometheus instead of five years, it would have been received better? That's also a huge part. I mean, is that it's like it, it took five years for them to make a movie, and by the time it came out, you know, already interest is going to wane. But also, when the movie looked like it did, where it's like we waited five years, and this just looks like a straight-up alien redo of sorts, now mm-hmm. pass. I also think maybe it's because in those intervening five years, Prometheus had been out. People have grown accustomed to, okay, because when you first see Prometheus like in 2012, you're like, oh, this is not the movie I wanted. But then over five years, it's like the stages of grief, you know? It's like you're angry, and then you're <laughs> yeah. in denial, and then you're I'm like, oh. acceptance level. Pe- people have moved to the acceptance level and be like, okay, this is what we're getting now, so this is what I'm expecting moving forward. Yeah. And it took too long for this movie to come out. I think that and the other big, well, maybe not a big piece, but a contributing factor is that people did come around to Numi Rapace. And then they come into this film and they're like, that character that I just spent an entire film with that I thought was going to be taking me into the next stage of this alien trilogy. Fucking nowhere to be found. And honestly, they do that character so fucking dirty. I've never oh, seen bad. a franchise handle a character so badly. <laughs> it's ugly. I mean, it's it's deliberately ugly. That we don't even get a flashback, though, to, like, him killing her. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, had we even gotten that, I might even raise this movie half a star. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think having that be... Having, having the tag of Prometheus be Shaw going... I'm going looking for answers, and I'm still looking. And then the next movie starts. <laughs> I'm and it's fucking like, dead. Yeah, ne- ne- never mind. Here she is on an autopsy table. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. But, you know, it's like, oh. Yeah. Oh. Like, even even really when he rele- Even in the flashback, which is a scene that they added after the fact. When you don't they, see her. You don't even see her. Like, she's not even, like, tied up on the side or something. It's like, what? He got to, she rebuilt him, and then he just immediately dissected her? Come on. No, no. Also, he was ahead. Like, that bitch should... I mean, we'll get into stupid scientists in a minute, but she should not have fucking done that. Like, I've reattached his head. But, Joe, I guess you know, we've been going on about have, this. Let, yeah. Let's talk about what this is about. <laughs> okay, prepare yourselves for the longest plot recap we've ever done. <laughs> oh, please. I'm I'm eagerly anticipating you breaking this down. <laughs> okay, here we go. Try to keep up with all these characters' names. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> It says there's 14 of them, and I was like, I feel like there's 50 of these characters in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like there's more of them than in Aliens. Yes! Somehow, in Aliens, you still were able to completely identify every single single one. one. (laughs) Like, I challenge you to name the last security member of this group, because 
you're like, I don't even have we seen this person before? No. Who yeah, I, I, this is the most kind of disposable slasher movie cast that's ever been in an alien movie. Mm-hmm. But and Joe and I talked about this today. I was like, for from us, like people who were like really into horror and like we followed the indie scene, a lot of these are recognizable faces. Mm-hmm. But for the average American moviegoer, they are not. But and I was like, even even. If these had been no names for me, I could not tell you who was who, no. who was married to who, who no. knew each other, who didn't know each other. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't have the, the the relationships between characters weren't so much of a problem, but I will admit that that uh the movie doesn't do the proper legwork for the amount of characters that we see on the screen. They could have yeah. They could have paired off like maybe four of the people mm-hmm. that get any time on here, yeah, and and made it like a tight cast of maybe six, like you know, like a like original, <laughs> yeah, like original alien, yeah. But yeah. but unfortunately, we we are stuck with a lot of like, oh yeah, there's there's those two people that are on the ship with Danny McBride, mm-hmm. um, that one and other one. <laughs> That's pretty Which, much. Which, um, uh, hello, you're talking about a hot couple who fucks and dies. That's uh, true. <laughs> you're also talking about Kelly Hernandez, who's awesome, and you know she's in uh, 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 the Endless and Blair Witch. And then you're also talking about alleged uh, uh, fake gay hate crimer Jesse Smollett, who I'm just watching in this movie, like, oh, well, that I I totally forgot he was in the movie that his name yeah, his exactly. name came up in the credits. I was like. Uh, what yeah. he's in this I... he at least gets a good death he gets probably my my second favorite death in the movie oh uh, well we can talk about gore but uh, yeah I, I i think i think we have a plot summary to try yeah, yeah. And get through yeah don't talk about the gore and don't talk about his wife's tits you don't see his tits <laughs> you don't see your tits go ahead it's a line from the film trace oh right i'm sorry and danny mcbride <laughs> calling what's your face sweet tits yeah okay so After an extended scene in which David, Michael Fassbender, he of the 12-inch penis. (laughs) So, David, the character we had met previously in Prometheus. So he meets his maker, Waylon, Guy Pierce, who appears only in this one scene. We are introduced to Walter, also played by Michael Fassbender, the android in charge of the spaceship Covenant. And in case we need a way to tell them apart... David will speak with his usual affectation, whereas Walter will always talk like this. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so weird. It's Michael Fassbender preparing for what? His Batman audition? <laughs> it's a choice. I, I, it's kind of a weird Southern vibe, almost. Oh, yeah. It does have a bit of Southern, doesn't it? A little bit. I, I feel like his approach to the character was like, I have to do something so bland in the voice to kind of reflect yeah. what's changed with the model. So it basically comes across just like this. Yeah. Well, he has no emotion, so he sounds Southern. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. I I will not deny that. Okay. So the colonization ship is en route to Oragai 6. This will not be important. (laughs) When they are hit by a randomly occurring neutrino blast. And the fact that it's randomly occurring is supposed to be your first big indication that bad shit can happen to good people for no reason. But are we... Hey, I'm... David didn't do that, though, right? Like, that no. really was a random event. <laughs> yes. Where's that deleted scene? Did he, like, created the solar flare? <laughs> He's operating no, I... a weather machine on the planet's surface? <laughs> well, there's there's definitely, I mean, like, to, to talk about that thematically, there is absolutely a, a try, they're trying to carry over this, you know, 
God doesn't like you theme yeah. that that kind of Prometheus fell into in its third act, like because because that's a great terrifying idea. Like, what if you met God and he hated you? Yeah, and he wanted to exterminate his creation. Absolutely. Yes, like that. That yeah. is fascinating. So this this random localized event or whatever Walter calls it, this neutrino blast is is our first indication of that. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll say I think one of the reasons Alien has continued as a franchise is because of production design and yeah. concept in terms of uh setting and i love all of this stuff on the colony ship i love the big solar sails i think yeah. it's really yeah, cool i agree yeah. i agree with that 100 percent. yeah this film starts strong which just makes the middle section and the end section so much more disappointing well let's finish talking about this beginning section we're never gonna get there I know. <laughs> okay the flare causes extensive damage to the solar sails that power the ship it also kills 47 colonists, 16 second-generation embryos, and the captain, Jacobs, played by James Franco. So this movie is just chock-full of pieces of shit. I won't lie, uh, two years later, it's really satisfying to watch James Franco get barbecued. Yes, I loved it. I was like, oh, yeah, you go, Alien Covenant. You burn that fucker alive. <laughs> it's such a weird thing, though, right? Like, I mean, you have Danny McBride in this movie and James Franco. It's like, what... I mean, now, like, with Halloween, like, Danny right on that, it like, kind of makes more sense. But it's like, what? Like, is there, like, a comedian strike going on somewhere that's putting them all in these horror movies? I don't well, know. I, I, I listened to the, the commentary from oh, Ridley God, Scott. Me which, too. It's which so I bad. recommend from everybody because it's like listening to Grandpa on the porch. Um, <laughs> Except that he has nothing interesting to say. Half the time he's narrating yeah, the fucking Grandpa movie. on the porch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But 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 he mentions uh, Danny McBride where he's like, you know, Dan, and he says he's like, he's a great comedian, but also a great director and producer. And again, I feel like this might be a Lindelof situation where Danny McBride's like, hey, they're making an alien movie. Can I mm -hmm. throw my hat in the ring? Yeah, literally, literally the stupid fucking hat, which apparently <laughs> is a homage to Dr. Strangelove because yeah, that's what this movie Slim fucking Pickens needed. Thing. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. So James Franco is dead. Three chairs for that. Yay. Yay. Religious <laughs> second-in-command, Chris Oram, played by Billy Crudup. The worst captain in the world. He's terrible. And the fact that they blame it on religion is so <laughs> weird. This is part of that whole nihilism streak that the movie has, where it's it's so odd because Scott goes on record multiple times during the the production of Prometheus and on this being like, he believes in intelligent design, he believes mm -hmm. in some sort of you know god figure of some sort yeah but this movie pretty much paints faith as something that is going to get you killed yeah and and actively which makes i'm you all about stupid I love that. and a terrible leader yeah i mean i i'm i'm not against it as, uh, as an idea but it seems like such a weird it, it's weird especially again coming off of prometheus where our mm -hmm. lead character even by the end and everything horrible has gone on she still is going to wear her cross but i wonder then if this is meant to be some kind of ironic commentary like oh guess what we're telegraphing what happens to her because her faith doesn't save her yeah i mean maybe i, I don't know oh, right. it's it but but i cannot disagree man is orem a stupid alternate captain <laughs> yeah. so yeah uh, why is he so stupid joe let's continue <laughs> <laughs> okay so the big thing at the beginning is that he lacks the people skills to win the crew over so you know if people want to have a fucking funeral maybe let them have a funeral and yeah why is he even the backup if that's the case clearly he's not the best choice for second in command 
Honestly, a better second in command, I'm obviously we're meant to think it's Daniels. I think his wife Corinne is a smarter, Absolutely. more political game player. She mm-hmm. she's so smart and you just you earn immediate bonus points by casting Carmen Ijogo. Like Oh my god, I love her so much and I I forgot how disappointing it is how quickly she is dispensed in this film. And you don't even really see it. No. Okay. So there's some animosity happening on the ship, and obviously Orum is on the outs with a lot of these other people who are reflective of the more traditional working class model that we see in the original Alien. So they go out to repair the sails, because without that, they don't have power for the ship. And while doing so, pilot Tennessee played by Daniel McBride, intercepts a rogue transmission of a John Denver song. Mm-hmm. Okay, because this is one of my only notes. Why? Why was 2017 the year of John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads being in mm-hmm. literally, I, I'm sure there's more. It's in this, it's in Kingsman, The Golden Circle, <laughs> and it's in Logan Lucky. And none of those movies should have a John Denver song in them. It doesn't it's fit the, the mode that they're operating in. And it's not like it's just, you know, playing on a jukebox in a bar. All of these movies, that specific song, they make integral to the plot. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, was there just a bargain bin sale on rights for this song? Yeah. <laughs> it was like the whole estate. We got to sell it. We don't, we can't it's, support it's anything. So we got to get rid of it. And, and and like Logan Lucky, it's it, they make it make sense in that one. Kingsman, it's like oh, okay, mm. but this one, I'm like, Mm-mm. that's what you went with, uh, okay. And especially because it, it's meant, it's later revealed that it's Shaw who has sent this particular transmission by humming it. That does not fit her character <laughs> at all. I don't for I a minute no believe idea. that that character would know <laughs> this song or would choose to be like, well, with my dying breath, I'm going to send this John Denver song into space. You know what would have been nice if like we get to see the foot like that's like part of her message. But like the end of it, like and like water and Daniels discovers it is like, oh, David comes and like knocks her over like, the head. And, like that's her? the end of the message. Yeah, I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to hear Mozart. <laughs> Okay, so on the basis of this song, they track it back and they discover that it correlates to a perfectly habitable planet, which is only a short distance away that they have never seen or heard before. This is the beginning of the what the fuckery. It, okay, the whole, um, bad decisions, (laughs) stupid characters will not ruin a movie for me. And it doesn't ruin this movie for me. But oh my god, the entire premise of this movie is, is like, dependent on you buying into this captain this captain changing course of a colony mission of two thousand colonists and over a thousand embryos mm-hmm. to a mystery planet yeah See, i i i can take the buy-in here because there i think it's you're very daniels. trusting yes well that too but also <laughs> daniels mentions a lot where she's like why didn't this planet come up in our surveys mm-hmm. and it's like oh okay that's a really good point. At least someone's saying something smart. But then stupid captain's like, well, you know, whatever. Everybody's tense after the event that, you know, killed a bunch of people. Right. Uh, maybe this will cool things down. It's like, yeah, he's an idiot, but I understand his reasoning. I completely disagree with it. But it's like, as long as somebody else says something 
that sounds more logical. I'm like, all right, you offered both viewpoints. Continue. You know what? You give me a fight scene where she's like, fuck this. You are making a terrible decision. Fine. But it's very much like a Juno in the Descent where it's like, I wanted us all to discover the cave together type decision. <laughs> well, because I I, I, they're, they're, her dissenting moment is just them sitting at a table saying, and she's like, I want this put, you know, on the record. And he's like, okay, dude. Yeah. I'll oh, yeah, that's true. Walk. Yeah, officially yeah. on the record. Yeah, <laughs> You're right. No, it's just we don't even know what the fuck is out there. And I was like, yeah, you're very right. <laughs> But here's the question. So why did it never come up on any other scans? Like, are we right. meant to infer that David did something to activate this planet? So, I mean, the, this is another one of those, like... Like, this, it'll be answered this, in the third film? Well, I, uh, yeah, answered in the third film or the kind of thing that somebody's like, well, in the tie-in novel. Like, that <laughs> oh, kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, wow. yeah, well, yeah. No, the, it, it could be the alien technology, though, on the engineer's ship. is like, oh, it, like, clouds the entire or that Yeah, their their planet itself is doing something. I, th yeah. There's there's a hundred answers you could make up, but this movie is like, no, 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 we, we, we want to get to that planet and start putting black dust in people's ears. Basically, like, all you needed was one throwaway line for science fiction fans to say, okay, sure, you know what, I'll go along with it. I mean, I, I would have to go back because this is... This is riffing so hard on the way the first alien starts. Is mm -hmm. we're the on the transmission that lures them in. Yeah, there's this signal, and they're going to check it out. And it's like, yeah, that's that's also a dumb move. But in the first one, though, it's mandatory because it's an SOS signal, mm -hmm. right? Right. So, so that is that is definitely a way to pull it around. And you can say that in the first one, the company is is manipulating them because they want them to go there because they know the aliens there. Right. So, but but with this one, it's like, ah, don't worry about it. Just get get to the planet. Which is what they do. So we send an expedition team. Here we go, including <sighs> Daniels, Catherine Waterston, Captain Oram, his wife Corinne, Carmen Ajogo, Pilot Ferris, played by Amy Simitz, who we saw earlier this year in the Pet Cemetery remake, as well as our security team, Lope played by Damien Bashir, who everyone should take note of. He's not good in this movie, but he will be popping up in a lot of future things, including the new Grudge remake. He's really funny in the Sandra Bullock movie, The Heat. He's good. I I've always liked him, but this is, you know, like we were talking about the problem of like, why are there 14 people? Like, there mm -hmm. should be six. He Nobody gets the time they need. And, yeah. I mean, we're on the Horror Queers podcast. Get your gay character with Yay. nothing to do in this movie. <laughs> no. Yeah, so speaking of... So his husband, Hallett, is played by Nathaniel Dean. And then we've got other members of the security team. Cole, Yuli Latukafu? I don't know. I don't know. Word. I... He's the guy who lives until the end that you're like, oh, has he been here the whole time? I, <laughs> I don't even know who you. that is. He's the other black man. I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know that he has a line of dialogue until the scene that he dies in. Yay, gays and people of color, nothing to do. Right? Yeah, here I mean, we are. here's, I definitely wanted to bring this up because it's horror queers. It's like, I remember in the original Alien, Ridley Scott talking about that he wanted it to pretty much like to talk about you know, there would basically be no more kind of discrimination mm -hmm. based on sexual orientation in the future. Because he's like, we would evolve past that. And and I know there's a deleted scene in the first Alien that implies potential romantic feelings between Dallas and Kane, mm -hmm. and and that got cut. And so, on the one hand, it's it's like in this one, it's like, yeah, it's nice to see you know gay characters presented as just completely normal like every other heterosexual couple mm -hmm. but the movie doesn't do the proper diligence i think 
to make them feel like people, especially when one of them gets knocked off and we're supposed to have a genuine emotional moment. Well, the reason yeah. the reason that the movie expects us to have a genuine emotional moment whenever someone dies in this movie because they have a spouse. Because we yeah. see their spouse upset, therefore we are supposed to feel upset. And that's the problem with this movie. That's the at least one of the big problems I have emotionally with this movie. Like Yes, there's too many characters, so you can't get to know any of them. And so the movie does the spouse thing to try to fix that when they could have just removed the spouses entirely to cut the cast in half and then give it more time to like develop these characters. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I like the spouse idea on paper because it is it's like, well, it's not just you're watching your friends or your fellow crewmates die. You're watching your significant other die. That is that adds a level of impact that hasn't been in other alien entries. But the movie doesn't do the proper legwork, no. I think, to to make that really stick. It basically just lets us know, hey, j- just so you know, some of these people, they're fucking. Yeah. And when, that's it. <laughs> well, and it has that one throwaway line where Orem is worried about being a good leader. And Corinne, his wife, says, you have to remember, you're not going to be leading these people when we get to Oregon 6. These people are going to be your neighbors. So... It it does feed into this whole idea that this is a colony ship that is meant to be repopulating a world. So I always like the concept, but you're both right. The execution of it is it's treated like a shorthand to genuine emotional investment, and it doesn't want to do anything more than that. So it doesn't right. it. I feel like it works for Orem and Corinne. And then Ferris and Tennessee, and that's it. Kind of. I kind of think it works for Ferris and Tennessee. I mean, it's overbearing because I also think that Danny McBride is not a good actor, so... We also don't get to see Corinne and Tennessee, like, interact that much before they get split up. Right, that most Ferris of their interaction and... is done over, you know, communications. Right, um, which, which, sorry, I just wanted to tell you, so apparently a lot of that, though, is edited out of order. The editor, mm. Pietro Scalia, basically said, like, yeah, we had, integrating the two storylines was, like, really fucking difficult. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. He's saying, you know, there were longer beats between Ferris and Tennessee trying to establish communication, but they had to get rid of them. Going back and forth too many times between the expedition on the, uh, the journey to the Juggernaut and the Engineer City proved to be belabored and tedious. So they yeah. combined certain scenes between Ferris and Tennessee, uh, eliminated walking through the trees in the forest, getting the ground crewed up to the mountain later. Yeah, because it all happens very quickly. Yes, I, I forgot how quickly it happened because I was like, I, I thought this was later in the movie. It's like they set foot on the planet and just immediately get infected. And then two hours later, everything has gone to shit. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible that that, that <laughs> other other guy is the one who gets infected. Oh, no, not him. Yeah. Well, like the part where Tennessee says, I've never heard my wife so scared before. That was originally scripted to go after her death, but they moved it to like right after the attack on the med bay to like not interrupt the momentum. And I get it. Like Mm editing is really, really tricky, especially when a movie that feels like two different movies put together like this one. Yeah. And it's just weird. It is. And I think at the end of the day, they probably made the right decision because watching this twice, so I watched it regularly and then I watched it again, just like you, Drew, I watched it with Ridley Scott's commentary, hoping for some kind of insight. (laughs) It's amazing how quickly things seem to move in this first act and into part of the second act. Yeah. But it still takes so fucking long because they then want to draw a bunch of the meditative shit out that that the second half of the second act and then the entire third act is just like why yeah it's it's interesting that this first act really goes on the first act actually comprises kind of the first half of the movie so it, it it seems really quick but it actually is a lot longer because this first act 
has this, you know, getting introduced to them, them going down to the planet, getting infected, and then kind of the big, you know, bursting scenes happening. And then... Yeah. Well, because I, I did clock it. The back burst happens at the 48-minute mark. And I remember when the first guy gets infected, I was like, th- it happened way quicker than I thought. Like, I, mm-hmm. I did think that the journey to the engineer ship took longer like, i remembered it being longer but th- those two guys get uh, it's like ledward and hallett get infected super quick yes okay so thank you for bringing us back on track so ledward is played by benjamin rigby and then the final member of the security team is rosenthal aka the only girl she is played by tess hobrich and then there's a couple of other ones who I don't even know that we get named. There's like an A-Core somewhere in there, but I could not even figure out who they are. They get mm-hmm. killed very quickly here. So so they're all, they all go down to the planet in Lander 1, but the process of going down means that they lose communications, as we've hinted at, between Tennessee and Ferris. So the expedition team then splits into two. Corinne and Ledward stay behind to take biological samples, and Ledward takes a smoke break because in the future they still smoke. Yep. And he steps on an orb that releases a mysterious smoky black entity. Do you think this was a carryover from David Lindelof? Looks a bit like a smoke monster, doesn't it? Hey, uh, <laughs> maybe. I will say, though, uh, this leads to one of my favorite shots in the movie, which is the interior yeah. ear shot. <laughs> no, I, I I think that is really cool. I like that the spore seems to have a mind of its own. Yes. Um, it, it takes a shape, even. It's kind of almost got like a, a weird jellyfish looking way that mm-hmm, it yeah. pilots itself through the air. Yeah, the creature design in this film is not bad. It's got a lot of cool looking visual components in that regard. No, we'll get to the creatures. All right. Okay, so the rest of the team tracks the transmission back to the space jockey ship from Prometheus. So it's around this time that we learned that a decade has passed. Like, if you were paying attention to the timeline between Prometheus and Alien Covenant, it's got it in the initial tag when we first get introduced to Covenant. Like, you, if you know them, the years, you'll know it's 10 years. But if not, they say, oh, this is the ship that disappeared 10 years ago. <laughs> yes, what Walter does does is Elizabeth Shaw. Like, he mm-hmm. does his whole, you know, Basil Exposition moment. But yeah, I mean, the, the finding of this ship, you know, I think this was another problem with Prometheus is using such familiar and iconic imagery from Alien mm-hmm. bums people out because... But that's not it. That's not LV-426. That's not the thing I know, which to me almost like there's a part of me that really feels that Ridley Scott was kind of remaking Alien with these movies and just ignoring stuff that came before and kind of using imagery and moments that echo. But the finding of the ship and discovering, you know, Shaw's recording there and all her John Denver LPs that she brought with her, I guess Mm -hmm. it really you're like, uh oh. This is going to be a wet fart follow-up to Prometheus. Yeah, the writing is on the wall. It's, yeah. So we we learned that Elizabeth Shaw was there. It's basically all just exposition in case you didn't see Prometheus, which is dumb because who do they think is going to see <laughs> Alien Covenant as a first-time viewer? Um, people who didn't know Prometheus was an alien movie and didn't go see it, but now they're going to go see Alien Covenant because the word alien is in the title. Oh, Ding. God. Because oh, people are stupid. I feel bad for the state of the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so basically, yeah, so they're like, bah, Shah, blah, transmission, and Hallett gets infected because he also pokes an orb. But he breathes it in instead of it going into his ear. Yeah, and this apparently will, will cause distinctions in the way that the neomorph comes out. So. Yeah pay attention which is also i mean i'll I'll give him that that's the carryover from prometheus which a lot of people 
didn't like. It's like, why does the black goo do different things? I'm like, ah, that's that's fun. I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm sure. fine with that. Yeah. And um, I mean, the big thing was that in in Prometheus, they never gave a direct answer for what this pathogen was. No. And then in this one, there's a moment where David's like, "Yeah, it was a weapon." It's like, "Oh, okay, that's all we needed. Mm-hmm. One line." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, I I like the when the movie finally gets into the straight up, you know, nasty grisly horror that the first Alien became no, so known for. I, I, from this point until the explosion, I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty fantastic. Yeah, so I, I love the backburster and the mouthburster. Yes. Well, okay, yeah, we're getting there. So this is where we are. Well, it's this is it. Like, so I think to me, this is probably the most successful component of this film. So we've got Corinne dragging Ledward back to the lander sickbay, and blood explodes from his spine onto Ferris's face when they try to set him up. Uh, she obviously panics. She locks Corinne in with him, and he begins to seize. So she is calling for help. So she calls uh, Orem back. She's calling Tennessee. She's freaking out. And a creature cuts its way out of his back. And this is our first introduction to the new character in this film. It is called a Neomorph. I don't know that they ever actually say it, but it's in the descriptions. When it comes out, it is a practical effect. The second it stands up, it is not. And it looks Looks like like garbage. Yeah, (laughs) I think there's a clear distinction because this is set in this, you know, whatever med bay area or something and when they have it hit with the harsh light mm, the, the actual the actual effect doesn't look bad but the problem is that it never matches the lighting yeah the, it, it never so it looks like it's on another layer in, instead of being a, a part of the the actual scene yeah it's not interacting with its environment properly right yeah and that's reflected because i know scott said that in other scenes, he had actual physical kind of rod puppets in scenes, mm-hmm. and then they digitally replaced them so they could actually mimic good lighting. And and it's why the the other one that ends up bursting out of someone's mouth, which is just a ridiculously oh, awesome. The effect. other gay so, character's mouth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I do have an issue, too. So I, I know that the quarantine thing is like a callback to the original film when, you know, Ripley doesn't want to let them in because it's a quarantine issue. But then, you know, Ash is like, oh, we're letting him in because I'm a secret spy. Mm-hmm. But Corinne freaks out about quarantine. Then she gets blood all over her face when the backburster, like, first makes a little spurt. And she's like, uh, I'm gonna lock you in here. Bye. No, you keep confusing Corinne and Ferris. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Ferris sorry, I'm sorry. Ferris, Ferris, yes, Ferris. Ferris, you know, goes back out. She's like, I'm gonna lock Corinne in here because quarantine, even though I have blood all over my face. She's, yeah. she's bullshitting. Then she's like, yeah, she's making her calls. She goes back and she's like, I have a weapon. And then she sees this monster attacking Corinne which is like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. She goes in, also breaking quarantine again. Yeah. And slips on the blood, which I'm like, okay, fine movie. There's That's... two blood slips. Th- this is comedy. I don't care how it is. Oh, they might it. as well swapped it out for a fucking banana peel. It, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I laugh every time. And I know on the commentary, Ridley Scott specifically did the storyboards and put that mm-hmm. into the sequence with the board. So I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a grandpa joke. Okay, I'll laugh. And then, yeah, then she, you know, fires a weapon in the fucking ship and blows it up. Which, I'll say this, because I know Prometheus, uh, one of the issues people had where it's like, oh, these characters are doing really dumb things. Mm -hmm. And and I get that in in that instance, because they are scientists on an expedition. With this one, it's like, well, yeah, they're obviously adept enough to, to do this 
colonization mission, but it's not like they're super pros or they're, you know, immune uh, to acting super stupid. I um, I disagree. No, no, no. If the colonists, <laughs> if they were parts of the, if, let's say the crew of 15 died and we have 15 colonists that are doing this, that makes sense. But we have a crew that was supposedly gone through training on how to make this happen. Yeah, and and Drew, I'm going to call you out because there's a specific section when Oram is going through his speech in the wake of taking over ownership of the of the Covenant. And Ridley Scott spends the entire duration of the scene talking about how these are the smartest people that <laughs> Earth could send. Fair enough, fair enough. He's like, well, these people are the smartest scientists. And I'm like, okay, so maybe it's just that they're scientists because we don't see... A lot of the security team just kind of gets murdered. And we see a lot of the scientists making stupid decisions. Mm-hmm. I, If you want to cut the movie a bit of slack, it's... I think we're just meant to believe she's she's panicking, right? Yeah. Like she's obviously hysterical. She's hyperventilating. She sees someone that she cares about getting attacked by something, and she says, "You know what? I've got this giant ass gun. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to try to do something." But the problem is, is that the way that Ridley Scott shoots it and the sequence of events just makes it seem like you're a dumb bitch who's shooting a gun indoors at flammable explosive breaks yeah, quarantine it's... twice <laughs> like yeah. twice it, it, in the span of five minutes it is definitely i mean it is a uh i just think about that moment in jaws 2 when the woman accidentally pours gasoline all over oh herself yeah and then grabs a flare gun <laughs> okay um but, uh, but jaws 2 is not under the pre- pretense that it's a smart movie <laughs> well yeah i mean that that that's a good she point was um, a but, scientist but, but i think this is also <laughs> this is also part of the problem with our cultural knowledge of alien right it's like we know what's going on mm-hmm. and and so it's like oh we know what it's the same thing again with slasher movies it's like yeah, yeah d- don't go in there but that's that's the the problem and i think and i think okay, with this movie that. yeah the, the the slasher <laughs> characterness of everybody is amped up to 11 it's super true though because in this scene so we've got um we've got ledward sitting on this bench and he like at this point he's nonverbal he's shaking he's sweating he looks like he's about to die, frankly. <laughs> and you like Corinne tries to get out and she comes back, she sees him and she she hugs him and she puts her hand on his back and that's Ooh. where we see the spike come out and it gets her right through the hand. My husband turned around and was like, is she a fucking idiot? Why would she do that? <laughs> and part of me, I think, is you're right, Drew. You know, we're watching this being... We, we know, know what's going to happen. We know exactly this, what's going to well, happen. And she's also, like, I'm going to try to comfort this man who is obviously about to die. Well, and they also, it doesn't help that they showed this backburster scene in almost every, like, they showed a clip, when at South By, they were showing uh, like a, a screening of Alien, but they were like, oh, we're going to premise preface it, though, with a special clip from we Alien got a Covenant. Reel. And it was the, no, it wasn't a sizzle reel. It was literally the Med Bay clip. Oh wow! Like the full would, Med Bay clip. So I would I'd, not have spoiled this scene. I well, but that's the thing. They knew that it wasn't going to be received maybe super well, and they were like, "We got to show them the best part of the movie because right. we got is... to give them what they want." Which is like, "Hey, yeah. Alien was part of its success was made on the back of that chestburster scene. Yeah, Let's yeah. show them how nasty and gory that we can make it now in 2017." And and I think. Regardless of the character's actions, I think as a sequence of horror and definitely gore, I think it works. Oh, I think so. No, it does. Absolutely. Her stupidity aside, it's a really cool... Again, it's my favorite part of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. And you're right, Drew. I mean, this is... It's not just a whole 
or sorry, it's not just a callback to the original Alien. I think it's a recognition of how much this scene means to people, so much so that we literally get this scene three times throughout this mm-hmm. film. Right. And just as a, a bit of a shout out, uh, I managed to catch the new Alien documentary called Memory, The mm-hmm. Origins of Alien. And it's really good, but it also, like, it also acknowledges that fact because it dedicates probably 50% of that documentary to the chestburster scene. Mm-hmm. So my favorite part of the scene is the way that his body flops over. I do like oh, that's great. Yeah, With yeah, all like the love guts it. or something coming out of his back. The oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good okay so so that's inside and the ship is gone Kablooey. yeah and so meanwhile the rest of the crew has arrived and they have hallett who is also sick and he almost immediately births a second creature out of his mouth and then dies which looks really cool they did yeah. it practically for that that actual bursting shot i like that you get a big fake head yeah i wish they would have kept it practical uh the the special effects in this film it's so disappointing <laughs> i think this sequence works better though with the digital right. neomorph because mm-hmm. it's it's shot in the dark and, and it's a lot so. of quick cuts like you can still tell what's going on yeah and you can tell it's a cgi monster but it doesn't look as egregiously bad as the brightness of that med bay right mm-hmm. yeah well and i think it's not the tiny alien in particular throughout this film looks very bad when it starts to become the size of a dog or a human being it I think starts to also look a little bit better. Yeah, it mm-hmm. does. Um, I also have in my notes during this scene, a bunch of no names die. Yeah. So this is when a bunch of the security team dies and I could not tell you which one. Okay. This makes sense though, because it's just like an aliens when half the, half the army people die in the ambush. That mm-hmm. makes sense. That's when you do some house cleaning and you get rid of the... <laughs> Was that house cleaning and killing mixed together? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> house no, cleaning. And that's when you get rid of killing. all the people that no one cares about. And then you leave the five or six that you do care about. Right. But there's still a lot of people there's left still, in this movie. <laughs> there's still so many. Yeah, so at this point, they basically... The survivors band together in the dark. They look like they're about to get killed. Walter sticks his hand in one of them and kills it by punching it in the face. No, no, and... he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't kill it. At, oh, he doesn't kill it. Right? It bites yeah, it his arm off. off. It bites yeah. his arm off. Okay, so he loses his arm, which will become important. Yeah. And, uh, and then flares go off, and they're saved by a hooded man. So we have Rosenthal, Cole, Lope, Orem, and Daniels left. <laughs> okay. So technically we have five and they run through the woods. They go to a clearing. They find a giant dome city and around it are the bodies of thousands of charred remains, which is a pretty cool image. It definitely kind of conjures up uh, images of like the the, the destruction of Pompeii. Or like Hiroshima or something. No, I will say though that I, because Fassbender is the best part of this movie in terms of like, acting. Yeah. But I will say that when he appeared as David, I was like, oh, wow, it took a whole hour for Fassbender to show up, like completely forgetting that he'd been in the movie for the well, whole. Well, <laughs> yeah, because Walter Walter is kind of, I think, purposely boring in this first <laughs> Oh, half. sorry, I just woke up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when, when David reappears and the movie turns into what I think is my most favorite thing, because like, like I said, each alien movie is a different riff on the same idea. And this one is like, you know what? We've never really done the Gothic hammer horror movie alien. Mm. And, and this is when it's like, David's going to take him to his big giant castle yeah. and, and tell him like, Oh yes, I've been stuck on this planet for mm-hmm. 10 years. And then we get, 
he's the real secret lead of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about he and him and Walter. Yes, and and when and when he sees Walter and kind of realizes the situation and he walks past that one time and he says, "Welcome, brother." It's like, "All right. This is what Ridley Scott clearly cares about. The yeah. alien stuff nope. is kind of what he has to do." But this idea about androids and a higher life form than humans mm -hmm. being superior to us, this is fascinating. And in case you didn't know he was evil, the second Orem says that they're a colony ship, David, like, goes, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> like, he might as well have said, excuse me, I'm just going to pencil in a thin mustache so that I can be super <laughs> fucking evil. But I love Fassbender no, like, I, I do, I playing do too. Arch. I yeah, yeah. do, too. I think it's real fun. It makes the protagonists quote-unquote look real stupid but yes it's real fun to watch mm -hmm. oh I, yeah the, yeah the, every scene with david in this like we see him he's got this long hair he looks like he stepped off of you know the the game of thrones set for a second <laughs> and and then i don't know why but when he starts cutting his hair and he's singing the man who broke the bank at monte carlo that cracks me up so much i don't know why it's just his the way he's singing it's such an odd choice but i like these little moments we get with david because they were the most interesting things to me about prometheus oh for sure well yeah. we're about to get a big moment with david <laughs> okay so i so i'm not going to repeat everything that you just said the only yeah. other thing that we need to make sure that we address is that uh he tells them that he and shaw came here a year ago and that they accidentally released the payload and crashed the ship and in the crash shaw was killed he's yes. he's 100 percent telling the truth mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no reason to doubt him at all <laughs> i also love too that like he bring he like you know the the engineers all see the ship coming and they see the payload or the weapon being dispersed and they're like oh shit and then they just all immediately die no that no we're not there yet great. we're not there yet oh because we, oh. we hear him tell that and we're meant to be like okay that makes sense and then two scenes later we find out what really happened. oh gotcha, gotcha. I, I do think this is another instance of the audience being you know smarter than the characters like it's fair and i think daniels is suspicious enough of david at the outset but not in the way that like us as the audience we know like this guy is bad news mm -hmm. don't go with him but please, Walter, go with him because it's going to lead to the best scene in the movie. Exactly. Which is where we are. If you want to know why we're covering this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's Juicy Smollett. <laughs> <laughs> juicy? Juicy? Juicy Smollett, yeah. Uh, he juicy. He's a terrible person, but he juicy. Yeah. Okay, so David cuts his hair so that he and Walter look almost identical. How will we tell them apart, guys? I can't. I can't remember. But we also get the most homoerotic scene of any film of 2017 when David demonstrates for Walter how to play the flute, even going so far as offering to do the fingering. His intro line, by the way, is whistle and I'll come. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You have a light step. Like <laughs> This entire exchange, I mean... Let, let's just this is called early grinder whistle yeah. and come. it's like, like what blow into the hole gently watch mm -hmm. me i'll do the fingering he might as well just said i'll work the hole i'll work your hole let, exactly. let me blast yeah. your hole this is not only is it wonderfully homoerotic but it gets on a deeper level when it's like it, it's clear that the only person david is actually capable of loving is himself mm -hmm. and he sees walter as a potential you know him and and the only one 
worthy enough of his superiority. I, I love the line he has later where he says, no, no one understands the lonely perfection of my dreams. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, and it's like, God, this character is so good. But this, 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 uh, flute sequence, we, I have to say just on a technical level, Oh, this is extraordinary. Great. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we've come a long way since Haley Mills and the Parent Trap. I was going to say God, this. This. This is definitely a big step up from uh, Meet the Clumps. Um, <laughs> but, but wow, I we mean, are pulling in the cinematic greats here, Jens. <laughs> yeah. The Criterion Collection represented here <laughs> on Horror Quiz. Eddie Murphy as. <laughs> And you have, like, the whole thing where he's like, oh, you can't create, like, you can't even create music because that's something they realized with Walter, or with uh, David, was a problem, mm-hmm. obviously. And so it's interesting to watch him study himself. And, and it, Scott doesn't it doesn't comment on the homoeroticism, despite, because no one really uses the word fingering um, in a non-sexual way very much. And if you do, please use it in a sentence for me. I, I, I will say, I took plenty of band and orchestra classes never never heard fingering <laughs> come up in the multiple instruments i tried to play so uh. i mean it's it's hilarious right because this scene on one hand is just giving you your michael fassbender twin cest fantasy well porn. it's like yeah it's also you bring an incest into it because they're brothers yeah, yeah. and in some it, it definitely is played that way and it's it's by far the most fascinating and compelling relationship in the entire movie yeah and and eventually i mean i know we'll get there but it goes to a point of physicality that that even goes beyond doing the fingering i know i was trying to remember if it was in this scene but it's not it is later and we will get to that it is later yeah i think it's fascinating that the queer scene in this film and there is a more queer more conventionally queer scene i just love that this suggests a level of intimacy and character detail that the rest of the film is not interested in delivering on. And it's happening in this weird homoerotic incesty kind well, of vein. Like that's fascinating handle... in a major motion science yeah. fiction film. Well, and as they handle this phallic object too. Yeah. Oh, I mean, th- I think this scene is the Rosetta stone of the movie in terms of yes. what, what is Ridley Scott really care about? And I think it's clear that with this scene, he's kind of like, you know what? Screw humanity. Step on me, Android Daddy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think this is also the scene that pays off that opening scene because I saw a lot of people who thought that the film opens very badly with the extended sequence between David and Waylon. It's and great. I, I, I think it's it's fine. a scene. That, yeah. It's a scene that should have been in Prometheus. Yeah. But yeah. and it feels like that. But I think it really it has to set up. David is somebody who's already questioning, who's already having a tiny bit of rebellion in him. It, I think that scene's necessary. Oh, it 100% is. Then he tells Guy Pierce, oh, you're going to expire and I never will. And like that look on Guy Pierce's face is like, uh-huh. Well, yeah, immediately yeah, then he makes him do something you. subservient. He's like, come pour me this tea that's right next to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, I, I, I do like the opening of this scene. It's not conventional, but I like it. I mean, I think the problem is, is that you have to see that and then you forget about David for what? 45 minutes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is the point where we get the conversation between the two androids and we get a flashback that we're meant to infer Walter figures out, but is from David's point of view that he purposely delivered the payload onto the unsuspecting city of engineers. And Ridley Scott says in the commentary that it's meant to be reflective of 2 million people. 
That, 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 that died, yeah. That yeah. it was a complete genocide. I also want to point out that at this point, Orem apologizes to Daniels, and she's like, it's fine. And I wanted to be like, it's fucking not fine, It's not fine. <laughs> it's not cool, bro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I... I That's love... where she takes one of Orem's fingers and she just bends it back until it breaks and she says, now it's fine. Now it's fine. I mean, like, I love Billy Crudup as an actor. Yeah, and, oh, he's great. And and I like him in this, especially the more defeated he gets. Mm-hmm. But but it is like the 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 colonists. I totally understand why they don't work, because like I said, Ridley Scott hates them. Yeah. And especially Orem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so speaking of unfortunately these colonists, we uh cut to Rosenthal, who is a female member of the security team that we had all completely forgotten okay. about. Wait, no, because I, I was reading the Wikipedia when this happened, and I have my notes. Neomorph makes the way to the ship and kills Rosenthal, and then I have in parentheses and all caps who question yeah. mark <laughs> exactly. somebody who apparently got got a hole in her arm at some point <laughs> she got she got bitten so she was the one that the neomorph jumped and she was like holding it off using her arms and that's when david ran in and punched it in the face okay or no wait he did Walter. that for Daniel, he did that for so uh, somebody else did it Dang. it's also at this point because we were also forgetting that we are cutting back and forth between all this and tennessee and the the Ju- juicy juicy smolet and uh, kelly hernandez <laughs> in the ship and he's mm-hmm. like we're gonna land this ship even though mother's like um it's gonna damage the ship and it's really not good and also you're jeopardizing like a lot of lives and he's like i don't I, care I, <laughs> I wish they had a workaround to I need that to, get to my wife the... his wife who's very long dead yeah i mean like you said it was super hard to edit but yeah. i wish they could have figured that out in the script to be like can everybody just be on the planet somehow because cutting back and forth it I don't think it's paced poorly, but it it never quite syncs up with with what's going on on the surface. Yeah. No, and if you think about this film as being an equivalent to Aliens, in that film, they literally just had a pilot in a ship sitting around. Yes, she eventually got killed, but that's because she left the door open like an mm-hmm. idiot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could have just had Danny McBride and the others be like, okay, we're going to be in this ship, and it's like, oh, the weather is too bad, we can't leave the ship, but... yes. Even just something where it's not like, oh, we've got to watch them try to fight through a Category 9 ion storm. Like, <laughs> who science, science, science. <laughs> <laughs> Insert jargon here. Yeah. Okay. So she's decapitated by uh, the remaining Neomorph while she's great washing her arm. Yep. Great fake uh, head. Not a great Neomorph. Oh my god. This is, I think, the worst the CGI looks apart from the little one that comes out of Billy Crudup. Oh, I trust I have we're not there yet say. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so she gets decapitated and at this point we see david seem to communicate or they're studying one another like there's a relationship here between them but yeah. that's cut off very quickly because Orem sees them and he shoots the neomorph and then demands to know what's going on i'm not going to talk about all the shit with the ship because we just talked about it yeah uh, so David takes Orm to his bestiary, inc- where he sees the early attempts to crossbreed species, and inarguably the dumbest scene of the film. Orm uh. is lured into the proximity of a birthing egg and is attacked and impregnated by a facehugger. And in the original, it makes sense because Kane's by himself. It's a new discovery, and he's wearing a fucking helmet. In this one, Billy Crudup already doesn't trust David. He already is like something's yes. not right here 
And yet David's like, it's totally safe. He's like, yeah, let me stick my head Just in this shit. Look closer. I, it, it, I won't. I won't deny that it's a dumb move. But again, I think this is also some of our like, yeah, we know what that is as an audience. Like the characters have no bearing on this. It's it's true. He should be suspicious of David, especially when he's like, come into my Frankenstein museum mm-hmm. and well, look at all these wonderful creations I made. Which is why <laughs> this would work better for me if David hadn't. He just found the room by himself and he was just mm-hmm. looking at the eggs. Then it would work for me. Right. But, but, or, if, but I, or if Orem was blind, maybe. I, <laughs> but I, I do. I do. I have to commend David's arch delivery of perfectly safe (laughs) yeah it's so good i mean there's a part of me that really feels like this is ridley scott having a laugh at at, americans i I don't know about americans (laughs) but just about the kind of movie that people i guess he he thinks want out of an alien movie like sure you want stupid people getting killed yeah and and he's like i'm gonna make them the stupidest people possible i'm gonna relish in their killing because I'm in love with my little Android like and I I can see why that's not satisfying. But for me, man, it it. (laughs) hey, we're two years removed. Maybe in three years, I'll accept this movie for what it is. But then we're going to get a third movie that has nothing to do with this. No, we can talk about that later. But (laughs) okay, so Cole, who is a character none of us can remember, he discovers Rosenthal's body. That's the girl. (laughs) (laughs) Who? (laughs) People discover people be dead. And Daniels gets on the horn and she's like, Tennessee, get me the fuck out of here. To which I say the real romance in this film is between Daniels and Tennessee. Sure. (laughs) They have. I think they actually got better chemistry than anybody else except Michael Fassbender and himself. Yes. um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, this is when the movie has to turn into the alien movie that yeah. Fox wanted. Yeah. And yeah, th- this is the least interesting section of the movie for it, me. It's true. We get one more good scene. So this is also when Walter discovers Shaw's mutilated but well-preserved body. And he mm-hmm. confronts David. And David then confesses his love for Walter, kisses him on the lips, and then shuts him down by jabbing a thing into his neck. I forgot they kiss. I literally the only gay thing I remember this movie is the flute scene. I totally forgot they kissed, and well, it's it's very one sided. Um, but yeah, it's a rapey kiss, just like the the face huggers. Well, I think I think it's just I think in that moment, David is trying to see is there any potential. Can for I sway this... you to the dark side? Yeah, like well, it, just to have any emotion, like are you actually capable of feeling the emotions that I feel? Mm-hmm. And clearly. Walter isn't, but then there's this whole subplot about, is he in love with Daniels? Like, is he capable of these emotions? Yeah, we have not talked about Daniels a lot because I just don't think she's that interesting. Of It's nothing against Waterston. Waterston does what she can with this nothing role. Oh, she's trying. She's trying so hard. But and I think this is another kind of subversion of what people are expecting from an alien movie because of ripley and then with sean prometheus everybody expects well the lead female is going to be our hero and she's going to be the one that really drives the story and this one's like no i hate her too i think she's actually meant to be representative of something in the middle so she's not quite shaw but she's not quite ripley because she starts as shaw and then she moves to ripley Hmm. and i think had she stayed as one or been one the whole time, it would be better for her. Yeah, I agree, because 
part of this is that the character doesn't feel formed. So she's, it's not even that she's adapting to the environment and circumstances. She literally goes full Rambo at the end of this film and it comes out of fucking nowhere. Like you've it's never weird. even seen, seen her handle a gun before. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Um, yeah. So it appears that David has killed Walter. And at this point, this is when Lope gets attacked. He's got a face hugger. Go Cole. through all this real quick. <laughs> yeah. Cole gets it off him. Then Cole gets killed by the fully grown one that came out of Orem. Uh, Daniels and Lope escape. And oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. We didn't mention this, though. Mm. With the chest burster. Okay. So you take a scene that is arguably the most famous scene in the entire franchise, like the chest burster, mm -hmm. which has practical effects, which granted have aged, but still look totally fine. Oh, my God. They still look so good. Yeah, I mean, the only thing, you can see the chest piece on um, John Hurt when, like, it's bursting out. It's like, that's my right. only gripe, but, like, whatever. And then you give it this in <sighs> Billy Crudup, and it is a purely pure CGI creation bursting yep. out of his chest, and it terrible. looks like hot garbage. Yeah. I, 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 maybe it's the fact that this is taking that familiar imagery and doing something so perverse with it in that they made this thing cute. Like, oh no, Drew. It, like it comes out and it's like, ah, oh, daddy, my arms. And it's like, what? What is going on here? Again, but it's because, oh, we're seeing this from David's perspective. This yeah. is his little baby. And it's like, this is so flying in the face of everything mm. that people love about this franchise that that boldness to me, even if it doesn't work, is kind of commendable. Yeah, the only part that works for me is the part that David is just sitting there watching, waiting. He's throwing rocks at him. It's so waiting for good. him to wake up. I will say, uh, once again, I'm going to draw back to the documentary I mentioned earlier. It's kind of funny. They end the documentary by having a bunch of the talking heads talk about the face hugger scene and how it's progressed and how it's received and all these things. And then one of the people on the documentary says, yeah, it's really telling that Ridley Scott tries to replicate his most famous scene in alien covenant and it doesn't work. And he tries to do it in Prometheus too. And it's like bizarre. I just, yeah. I loved it that this documentary, which is celebrating alien casts, not even low key shade, like full on shade at Ridley Scott doing a shit job of trying to replicate this. <laughs> I was like, wow, and you kept that, and that's how the documentary ends. Okay, good on you, boys. <laughs> yeah, so we've got Daniels and Lope are the only two left, and then we've got, oh, look, Walter's actually alive, so we get a quick little android battle that nobody cares about because none of the cuts matter. Nope. Like, they're just literally cutting each other up and nothing matters. Except for, of course, the final cut, which appears as though Walter has killed David by smashing his head in with a rock, but it cuts, so you don't know. Which uh, it, it most obvious? I don't. I don't think the movie thinks this is a twist. I don't. Think I it think does. the move. I think the movie a hundred percent, a hundred percent thinks it's a twist. <laughs> I mean, well, well, all I can uh, relate back to is Ridley Scott himself on the commentary talking about a, a test screening where somebody said they hated the movie because. They knew the twist that was coming. And really, Scott's response is, I like Beavis and Butthead. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Duh. Oh, my God. Like, this is a man who, Scott like, is a troll. That's what he's, we're saying. Yeah. He, he needs to <laughs> shut the fuck up. He needs to only speak when he's working. But I, I, I do think the movie 
is letting you in if you're paying attention that that it's not Walter because when you know we'll talk about the little action scene but when they get back to the ship and Walter is watching stuff go down on the camera he's smiling he's obviously like not helping everybody out mm-hmm. it's pretty I, I i don't think the movie is playing the twist to the audience but in the end it will try and play the twist to the character of, of daniels which definitely supports your claim that the movie thinks these characters are really Stupid. dumb and it yeah. doesn't value their lives at all it does yeah the movie thinks they have what's coming to them gosh okay so at this point uh tennessee arrives in this little weird kind of freighter crate thing with a landing pad and daniels and lope and walter hop on and the fully grown xenomorph also jumps on for a ride so this is the part that in my notes says daniels goes surfing because she hooks herself up and she just bounces around a billion times and they try to shoot it they try to blast it with the um with the thrusters and eventually she manages to lure the alien into a crane and then she crushes it before it can injure her i would also like to point out there's a really poorly shot part where she swings over the edge and then she gets pulled up and it looks like she's about to go directly into the flame (laughs) And I'm always I'm, like, I'm going to tell you something. I even though I will defend this movie, this last like 25 minutes or so, this is where I kind of check out. Oh, it's the um, worst because it just becomes a big dumb action movie trying to deliver mm-hmm. what I guess people thought they wanted with a new Alien movie. So and I boring. think that's the least interesting stuff the movie does. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's there's one scene where after they've gotten rid of the alien, the ship is almost crashing and Daniels is literally running along the ground as the ship loses altitude and then she swings back up. And in the audio commentary, Ridley Scott is like, isn't that fun? (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, no, it's actually really stupid. Well, no, that's that's my thing. I, I wrote I was like, this is a pretty cool set piece, I guess. But I said, I'm kind of bored watching this. Mm-hmm. Well, again, because it, it's the least interesting thing that the movie is positing at this point. It's like, oh, it's just it's just alien action with, you know, more modern special effects. Yeah. And not but, not as convincing. Well, and that's even like we're getting into this now, but like once it gets on the ship with them, like once I, I'm sorry, once Lopes gets on the ship with them, it then it should be more interesting. It should be your kind of alien homage haunted house movie. But then they don't even follow through with that. The only good thing about when it gets on the ship is that the movie finally said, and I love that they put this in the trailers where they're like, you know what? This is the scuzzy B-movie alien. Yeah. Like, let's have a shower scene death. Oh, yeah. This feels like something straight out of Friday the 13th, the remake. <laughs> it's I I adore this kind of leaning into the B-movie exploitation foundation that was in the original alien like the original alien could have easily turned out like all those roger corman alien ripoffs right if if not for a lot of factors and having this scene where there's a shot of the alien tail coming up between their legs i'm like this is so trashy i can't believe this is in a studio temple Mm -hmm. movie our supposedly well-respected director (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing is uh, also with this movie is that for everything they've done with the Alien franchise, it's always been a prestige mm-hmm. IP for Fox. And Covenant is kind of like, eh, fuck that. 
I don't know, man. Uh, I, 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 I would think resurrection argue, is. I would say resurrection is as well. Uh, yeah. they, I mean, they they had they they were getting Jean Pierre Junet, and they thought like, I mean, that's yeah. oh, they, Drew, I know come what they on. <laughs> yeah, they I were mean, like, you know, hey, can we get this Frenchman for cheap? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that was that was that was so much Sigourney Weaver, and they're like, let's have the the worst thing they did with resurrection was like, I don't think whimsy is a good take to do with alien but it's a take but but with this it's like i mean the only time they really shilled out was with the avp stuff you know regardless of the the quality of the movies it's like yeah that's just marquee value you know kind of exploitation but this in the actual movie in the actual execution of its ideas it feels trashy i don't see my, it doesn't feel trashy enough to me i may, no. maybe go full I, trashy if you're gonna go there yeah and i think that's probably the biggest problem i have is like even like in the shower scene i'm like cool he gets the the thing through his face but then we don't even get the luxury of seeing Callie hernandez die and it's like no, go there's trashy. just a blood splattered uh, shower stall, right? I do. Yeah. I do like the 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 alien tongue mouth going through his head and coming out of his mouth. That looks really and oh 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 the fucking VFX. No, they're like oh it's um <laughs> approximately thirty people from Creature NFX worked on the project for almost six months building animatronics. Actors wearing creature suits with animatronic heads were used to portray the aliens. Um. So the one that's in the shower standing behind the door, and that's it, right? No, there's the one that kills what's her face when she's washing her arms. That's a man in a suit. Oh yeah, that that is that it's digitally assisted, but that was a guy in a neomorph suit. Yeah. And then the actual one that she kills that Daniels kills while they're doing their ridiculous hang ten surfing, I'm pretty sure that that's also a man in a suit that's been augmented. Well, thirty people working six months for those three like little tiny like five second bits. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I think my big issue with all of this is that, shocking everyone, the story and the pacing didn't quite work for me. Yeah. By the time that we get to their escape from the city, I'm done. So that sequence alone, while they're on the planet, she's surfing and ten and literally calling ten to Tennessee, Tennessee, pull me up, Tennessee, pass me the axe. I'm like, he's driving the ship. <laughs> bitch he's busy i mean like i said i i will defend this movie but this chunk when it's when it just becomes regular alien shenanigans just with 2017 technology yeah i i will totally cop to it being boring because it's like you were actually doing weirder more transgressive stuff with oh yeah this property before yeah, yeah i just i wanted to end there because that to me is like okay we've ramped it up we've got an action sequence it's daniel's finally taking on the fucking alien and then we have to do it again on the ship i guess we can say too because like because lope had the face hugger on his face for like a second and before it got pulled off so i i guess maybe we can chalk it up to oh it's an early version of the face hugger so it got the embryo in him immediately but mm -hmm. how did he have a alien in his chest yeah it's like it should have been in his throat if yeah like on his it, i mean they yeah they pulled it off pretty quickly as it didn't even get the little penis thing in his mouth <laughs> that's true i mean yeah th there's not that this movie needs to be longer but there's no. definitely additional things like did did walter bring one on or something and, and if it, like they don't know it's like we just have to i i don't know how much i can blame ridley scott and how much i want to blame the the executives at fox or yeah. you know producers mm. being like no 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 p 
people didn't like that we didn't have an alien movie in your last alien movie. So make yeah. it an alien movie. And you can't spend all that money on that ship and then not do something where you get to destroy a bunch of shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is basically where we're at. Okay. So Lope gives birth. The result ends up killing, in case you were wondering, their character names are <laughs> Upworth and Ricks. No one cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> so at this oh, point. Because they're listening to R&B music in the shower, by the way. And that's why they can't hear Tennessee's warnings. That yeah. is a wonderful dumb slasher moment. Yep. <laughs> mm, give me them sexy R&B shower sex scenes. <laughs> Slow it down, baby. Okay. Uh, so now we're just left with Daniels in Tennessee. They lure the creature into the loading bay, and with Walter's help, they make the alien impale itself on the falling terraforming equipment as it falls into space. And this scene is so boring, too. Like, it, it should be so exciting. It's literally just there so that we can pay off her stupid fucking housemaking storyline <laughs> with Franco from the beginning. That's the only reason that scene exists, and that's the only reason this end scene exists. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this whole cargo bay action scene and again it's just like the the loading ship Aliens. whatever it, it, it's it's a bummer because production wise i think all of that looks stellar it looks in, good in terms of mm -hmm. like the concept design and you know they're shooting in big spaces this wasn't done you know mcu style and just a green box of a room <laughs> like it, it looks nice yeah like they actually built a set maybe yeah like it it actually looks really polished and, and neat but I, I, strangely enough, at this point, I'm like, I don't, don't care. care about the alien anymore. No. Like, you were taking this in such weirder, cooler directions, and then you had to made a, make a stupid alien movie. And we know they're going to vanquish it, so it's like, just do it. Like, we know what you're going to do. You're going to kick it out into space, because that's what you always fucking do. And I'm going to beat a dead horse, but I will say that the CGI alien looks fine when it's on the security camera footage. But then they make this weird decision like in the close-ups, when it's just the face of the alien, and it's still a CGI alien. And I'm like... Why? I'll do you one better. The worst decision in this movie, and I know that's a tall order here, but <laughs> the worst decision, this movie has alien vision. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. I <laughs> forgot about that. And it looks like regular video cam footage with wavy lines. Yes, it does. It is the – like, again, I'm like, okay, this is stupid – slasher monster movie ideas that you're mm -hmm. getting to do but it looks like garbage and i never needed to see what the alien sees yeah. yeah it's like oh thanks for turning this into doom for a couple of minutes <laughs> <laughs> okay take us home joe okay so alien defeated yay we can get our closure so david oops sorry walter puts daniels into cryo sleep and it's at this point that she realizes because he doesn't recognize her stupid reference to her stupid fucking log cabin house <laughs> that oh my god walter is really david so he he's already put the the stupid humans to bed so they're out and the ship resumes its course for Oragai six i told you it would be important folks <laughs> Oragai six Oragai six and uh, not not before we get to see michael fassbender's best barf acting mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> wretches up some gross little yeah face hugger egg embryo things yeah. which i i, I alien as a franchise has always been kind of known for pushing gross boundaries while mm -hmm. still coming off prestige i like the egg barfing uh yep he's got two of them <laughs> hidden in his throat and then of course we get to see him survey the frozen bodies of all of these colonists and they're just waiting to be infected in the third and final prequel 
which will never happen. Which which is a bummer because that sound like I'm more interested in that story mm-hmm. than I am yep. Shaw going off to find out what was going on with the engineers. I'm like David just mm. hanging out doing experiments on this ship and just committing to the villain being the protagonist is kind of wonderful. Okay, here's where I would be on board is if if we got this third fictional account and it turned out to be the original designs for Alien 3 where they were living on a planet where they had like no advanced technology and it Mm -hmm. was all built like houses built of wood and that kind of stuff. If it was like these colonists trying to build this utopian planet and then David just like grabbing them witch style and doing experiments (laughs) on them, I would kind of be down for that. So I won't go through my sequel timeline because we're running long, but I will tell you the last updates that we have on the plot and like what the heck was happening in this movie. Because as we know, this franchise has been caught in the Disney Fox merger. So October of 2017, Ridley Scott says that Alien Covenant 2, whatever that would be. Paradise Lost. Yeah, we'll focus more on androids and AIs as opposed to the xenomorphs, um, blah, blah, blah. But then November of 2018, so the next year, it's announced that the film would take place in LB-426 with the extraterrestrial engineers being featured in the film and being in pursuit of David following Uh. his nefarious actions against their planet. I'm sorry, where, what, where have they been? They have another planet? Because I thought this was their fucking homeworld. I know. So then April of this year, CinemaCon, it said that after its acquisitions of Fox, Disney will continue to create new stories. Later that year, I'm sorry, later this year, May. So the last update I have is from May. Variety reports uh, that another prequel is reportedly in the script phase with Ridley Scott attached to direct. I call BS on all of this because (laughs) after seeing how Disney approaches these franchises, they will create what they believe is the most platonic ideal of an alien movie. Mm -hmm. They, they They will make The Force Awakens of alien movies. Because it will be successful, it will play to what people want, but it will probably be a really, really safe movie. Well, you know what? If they give us The Force Awakens of Alien movies and then give us The Last Jedi of Alien movies, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm at this point, I want to follow David. I don't care about the alien anymore. I think that concept has been so done to death um, that... I'm sure there's interesting ways to approach it, but I I care about this mad scientist out in space doing experiments because like like you were saying about you want to see the movie where Shaw and David are on the engineer planet. I'm like, yeah, I want to see the movie where he was doing all these experiments and like mm-hmm. trying to find out how to make this thing. But I, I have no faith in the in the idea that this story will continue now that it's under the auspices of Disney. Yeah. They will make it, whatever they do with the franchise, even if it's not a feature film, if they go, you know, if, if Hulu or Disney plus ends up getting an alien series. Well, um, I, I want my Neil Blomkamp alien three with Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean. <laughs> I mean, man, I, I, I think at this point, that's probably more along the lines of what we'll get. We'll get something that is catering to basically a checkbox list of, okay, what do we believe fans want out of an alien movie? Right. Forget this alien yeah. covenant stuff and we'll do that. And it will be, I, I can't imagine that it won't be fun. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm, I don't want a fun alien movie. 
Well, like, the problem is, is that the history of this franchise, like if you look at any kind of academic literature, the Alien franchise is one of the most written about because it's so steeped in really fascinating pieces about gender, about sex. Uh, mm -hmm. It's incredibly progressive, sometimes by accident, but sometimes by intention. And like, it just has so much to say. Like, if you think about it, um, I'm going to quote again from that documentary. It's basically an entire franchise that's built on the premise of like male rape, mm -hmm. which is kind yeah. of crazy when you think about how much money they put into this. Sure. And I mean, I mean, I, I definitely think that's part of the reason that Alien Covenant isn't as beloved is like it's a franchise that is notable for really pushing a female protagonist as a hero, as a genre hero. That is not the case in Alien Covenant. No. I, I guarantee that will be absolutely uh, something that they'll they'll want to do in future installments. They want to have the Ray, you know, the, to to this to this uh, new iteration. Mm -hmm. But but I feel like Alien Covenant as as a Prometheus sequel, I don't think it's satisfying. As an Alien entry, I think it's an outright like Meh. admonition like uh, of like i kind of hate what this has become so i'm gonna fuck with it standing on its own i think it's a pretty gnarly little b movie with tons of polish and when it gets weird it gets wonderfully weird yeah had it just stayed in the weird pocket it would have been so much better but i think with the budget with the director with the franchise ip that was never a possibility right so we get these glimpses these little glimpses of what could have been like can you imagine if the whole film had have been just david and walter like just kill all of those people in that field and have just david and walter dishing it out yeah. I mean, yeah, like like, uh, like Trey says, I think that's what Ridley Scott is trying to get to. I mean, this movie opens with pretty much the, the exact same shot as Blade Runner. He wants to talk about androids and he wants to yeah. talk about, you know, the evolution of humanity yeah. and, and where myths. we're going. Yeah. But he's stuck into making these damn alien movies. Yeah. Which is so funny because that's the criticism leveled at both Prometheus and Alien Covenant is that ridley scott and all of these writers they should have made it i don't want to say a secret because we saw how that did not pay off with the um star trek franchise when they tried mm. to do the secret con movie Blech. but really if they had have just said we're making an original sci-fi property and then at the end of it the last shot was okay we've got the alien embryo or we've got a face hugger or something shit like people would have lost their goddamn minds and yeah. it would have just been a great science fiction film. It's every time the alien stuff gets shoehorned in. Oh, it's this whole other original thing. And then ta-da, I think, I think the hype would have been more managed coming off of that kind of a movie instead of what happened with Prometheus. Yeah. And with alien <sighs> covenant, I I'm the first to admit it's a more minor approach in terms of what the franchise has done and having a minor approach after Prometheus was never going to fly for people. Well, and I just think if this is the last we see of this iteration of the franchise, I think that's going to be Which a real bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I am excited to see where it goes from here. And I think maybe part of the reason why I'm so underwhelmed by this movie is because the most excited I felt watching this movie 
is when he's putting uh, Daniels to sleep and you're like, oh, this is his plan. Yeah, I already want that movie because it's more interesting than what I just watched. Right. Which is, I mean, Prometheus pulled the same trick. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. but both of these movies had to be B-horror alien movies in terms of structure and plotting. They aren't really allowed to explore these weirder ideas that that they're, that they're clearly interested in. And it's like... At this point, if Scott was actually going to make one, I'd be like, yeah, I don't need, uh, uh, you know, the old dark house again with a weird penis monster. Mm -hmm. Like, just do a straight up kind of hard sci-fi take with this character, David, that you're clearly interested in. Right. And wrap it up. I, I think at this point, you know, nobody cares how that derelict ship got to LV-426. I no. Nobody cared in 1979. No. And that film would just end with the shots or the, the ending that we know it would have, right? Like, it would basically just be like, yep, okay, there's a dead engineer and the alien gets out. And it would be like, cool. Awesome. What have we learned? What was the value of this journey? <laughs> this is a bigger conversation about prequelizing in general. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's just kind of a, a fool's errand nine times out of ten. Mm -hmm. And a money grab. And a money grab, yeah. But it's disappointing. <laughs> it, it, I, I won't admit to not being disappointed by the potential of Alien Covenant, but I think the things that it pulls off and the promise that it shows and when it's allowed to kind of do its own thing... I think it kind of sings on its own merits, but it's never going to be able to be judged on that alone. Well, yeah. I bought this Blu-ray, so they have my money, so I can say whatever the fuck I want about it, and they can't <laughs> stop me. All right, well, Trace, give us your final thought, then. We've heard Drew's take on it. What's yours? It's fine. I wish I got more enjoyment out of watching this movie. This... Drew, this B monster movie that you're describing, I'm I see elements of it in this movie, but I would I wish that the whole movie had been that because giving me some of it and in the last like 30 40 minutes of the movie after everything that's come before it, it doesn't satisfy me. So I feel like this is a mishmash of ideas over 5 years of studios and writers and director not all having different ideas of what they wanted. And it, it, I think it shows in the film. It's beautiful to look at. It's impeccably made, but I find it dreadfully dull. I'll ask you this, though. Do you think it's that it's a B-horror movie by way of incredible nihilism, and that's what really kind of turns a lot of it off for you? Well, no, not at all. I don't mind the nihilism aspect, but I also would be more into it, like... I think that by turning into a schlocky B movie, then like the statement it's trying to make about nihilism or like just being nihilistic is just kind of like shrugged off. Like it's not even mm. like I can't even take it that seriously. It, it's two opposing tones or types of films trying to be one and it doesn't work for me. Yeah. And I think I'm inclined to agree with you more and more, Trace. Unfortunately, I think what doesn't end up working is that there's two big creative impulses and they can't find a good middle ground so even when you try to get ridley scott's introspective treaties on androids and creation when it intersects with what the studio and maybe what the fan base wants it just feels like the film isn't really saying anything and there's no happy medium so all that we're left with is a film that 
is constantly struggling to not be what it actually is. And as a result, it doesn't really satisfy anybody except in those little pieces where it could have been something so much greater. Yeah. Okay. I'm calling it. We're going to play a game. It's going to be lightning round. Okay. Okay. So we're all in agreement that the androids are the best part of this film. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know one other horror film that would benefit from having an android in the mix. I, they kind of did this, but I would like to see Jason have to go up against an android. Jason X, one of the things I love about Jason X is that oh, there's yeah. actually a foil for Jason, like a physical foil in that movie, which he's never had before. So I would like to see somebody basically punch Jason in his stupid face. <laughs> and if that's got to be an android, then so be it. I right. was going to say the Halloween franchise, but they already did that with Halloween 3 Season of the that's, Witch. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, But there's no Michael in that one, Trace. Yeah, I know. Um, okay. That's why I hate it. Why don't we do Jaws, where it's actually an animatronic shark that's attacking people run by a mad scientist. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, that, that's basically the unmade version of Jaws 3. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm all for that. Uh, Joe, what's yours? Uh, I don't actually have like an existing IP, uh, but I would like to see more movies where the android is the main character. So not just playing second fiddle, like, you know, this film where we're suggesting that Daniels is actually our leading lady, but really it's David and Walter. I want to see something like a live action version of Wally, only with horror. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay. I mean, I mean, I would say Westworld is somewhat in that arena yeah mm -hmm. right yeah that's true especially in the second season <laughs> okay well good i think that will wrap up our discussion on alien covenant so before we announce what we're covering next week drew plug away what do you want to share with everyone well uh everybody can come to genrevision.com and check out all the podcasts we've got there go to our patreon patreon.com slash genrevision and follow me on twitter at drew deach that's d-r-e-w and then diet s-c-h yeah, and uh, read my stuff on Bloody Disgusting. Yeah. Yay! So I have to plug my three podcast guest appearances that I did on Halloween because I was bad and didn't do them before this. Uh, if you want to hear me on other podcasts just for Halloween, uh, you can listen to either Hollow uh, Consequence of Sounds Halloweenies podcast, where I discuss the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You can listen to Adrian Torres's Horrorversary podcast, where I discuss Sorority Row. Or you can listen to uh, one of our patrons, Joe Daniel Montalongo's Your Fave Bad Movie podcast, where I discuss Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, that brilliant piece of cinema. Thank God it means I don't have to talk about it. Yay! I know, uh, but we'll get a Scooby-Doo in next year. Uh, spoilers. But Joe, did, did you have an appearance that you wanted to plug too? I know you did on the on the Facebook page today. Sure. Okay, so I will also plug that I got to appear on live national television in Canada for Entertainment Tonight. Uh, they do a segment called The Great Debate. So I got to appear with former guest Ariel Fisher, and we talked about the best Halloween movie of all time. And I was dope. I was repping Trick or Treat, and I will, spoiler alert, tell you that I did not win. Wait, which one did she pick? She picked Hocus Pocus. Oh, oh that's, a, that's a stacked deck. <laughs> so I'm, you can I'm probably you, guess you, which man. one won. <laughs> uh, nope, nope, nope. Children of the 90s, Hocus Pocus. Um, <laughs> but if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can. Re I'm going to put a pin in that because um, Joe and I may have to have that same debate later next year. There we go. Um, I know, I'm just, I'm just dropping all these 2020 bombs on everyone. Uh, 
If you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me at Trace Thurman. And I am at B still on my remote. That's the letter B. And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets. You can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com or check out our Facebook group and talk to people there. Uh, if you have two seconds, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or leave us a write us a review. That'd be super nice. And if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash HorrorQueers where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes. We just dropped an episode on Dr. Sleep, which, spoiler alert, is really fucking good. Joe... Mm-hmm. What are we covering next week? I'm kind of excited to see how you intro this. So Trace, I'm taking you back to high school, and even though it's already celebrated its anniversary, I'm still going to make us talk about it. We are hanging out with Rose McGowan, and we're going to do a little bit of jawbreaking. I know, I was nervous about picking this movie, because it's not... It's not conventionally horror. It's not conventionally horror, but there's definitely a murder, and the whole plot of the movie hinges around a murder. And um, It's got Marilyn Manson in it. And and there's lots of gay shit in it, too, and it's real colorful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be an hour of us talking about lady dresses. And (laughs) sucking on popsicles. Oh, yeah. That that scene may have turned me gay. Not oh sure. no i i remember <laughs> say, sorry we'll we'll save it for next week yeah um but drew thank you so much for coming on the episode tonight we really appreciate it i, I and all your knowledge on the alien franchise holy fuck oh, man. i mean good lord like it, this was such a joy and and if you ever need anybody to come on and do the fingering again uh, <laughs> <laughs> call me of course um and on that note of fingering i think we can cross out <laughs> alien covenant yes and cross out horror queers Disgusting podcast network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas. SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.